Welcome to another episode of Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us, as always, on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, TuneIn, Google Play, anywhere you can find podcasts. Make sure you leave us a five-star review. You can email us with any basketball questions or advertising inquiries at LockedOnBulls at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnBulls. Like us on Facebook at LockedOnBulls. Feel free to send us questions there, too. I'm Sean Hyken of The Athletic. With me, as always, Cody Westerland from 670 The Score. And, Cody, the Bulls are 1-0 on their road trip. They beat the Blazers last night pretty handily. The best win of the year for the Bulls, 113-88, in what's been a tough place for them to play. And the Blazers are a good basketball team with a great backcourt. Wayne Wade for the Bulls would uh, aim for 500 on the road trip. Anything better than that is uh, gravy. They got the best start you can possibly ask for. And, I mean, I was kind of shocked is the right word, but definitely surprised that the Bulls put such a complete effort on both ends of the court uh, together. And in my mind, what was most impressive is for years we've seen the Bulls beat some good teams here. And by years, I mean the last three, two, three, four years. But a lot of times they'll play well, the other team will make a run, it'll get kind of close, five or seven points, something like that. That never happened in this game. The Bulls actually went 48 minutes without letting up down, and to me, that's what really stood out in my mind. Yeah, and uh, it's also the other thing is that Dwayne Wade said uh, after the game last night that their game plan was kind of, you, you take away Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, who are obviously Portland's two best players, their two leading scorers. They both scored a lot last night, but they both didn't shoot very efficiently from the field, and so they were just kind of saying, you know, we want to just make those guys work for their points and make everybody else beat us, and it was a strategy that worked last night. Everybody, I mean, Alan Crabb had a pretty good night off the bench, but you know, the rest of the guys in that Portland lineup and in that Portland rotation weren't really putting up enough points to make up for off nights from Dame and CJ. Yeah, and that's interesting too, the, the game fire reference you make, or the game plan reference you make, because it was Jimmy Butler who said on multiple occasions this year, the Bulls aren't following the game plan well enough and that the coaching staff is putting them in position to be successful. And then sometimes the Bulls have mental lapses and they just don't do what they're supposed to. So the fact that they did stick to the plan for the whole game uh, is very helpful and an encouraging sign because, I mean, you can beat yourself mentally and you can beat yourself physically, and the Bulls have done both of those last season for certain. Uh, and this year when they don't play well, sometimes they just don't seem to be all there. But they're 7-4 and four now, and again, they're beating most every team they need to beat, and then they picked up the win against a good team on the road, and they did it without a lot of guys that uh, – they were kind of injured out of the lineup right now, and the starting point guard uh, left ankle sprain. Doesn't turn it stayed back in Chicago still because of concussion, and we know Michael Carter Williams is still out with that uh, knee bruise and also the sprained wrist for a while longer. So they did it shorthanded, and they didn't have any trouble whatsoever. And I think that the lack of Rondo was maybe kind of the storyline of the game, too, because Jaron Grant got his first start uh, as a Chicago Bull, and he played really well on both ends of the court. I mean, he played excellent defense. He went to the hoop and got buckets when he needed to, and he looked really smooth doing so. Uh, just what was the vibe, Sean, in the locker room regarding his play? What did he have to say? What, what did everyone kind of think of that? 
Well, so afterwards in the locker room, when Jaron Grant was kind of getting dressed and getting ready to leave, he put on a 1992 uh, Chicago Bulls warm-up jacket. Like, not not just like a team-issued Bulls jacket. Like, he put on like a retro throwback, like Michael Jordan era jacket. And some of the other guys on the team, like Dwayne Wade, were kind of, you know, poking fun at him, saying, hey, you just want everybody to know that you're the starting point guard of the Chicago Bulls right now. So, like, he was definitely enjoying it. This was only his seventh start of his career. He started six games last year with the Knicks it was only the third time in his career that he played at least 30 minutes in a game he played over 30 minutes in each of the last two games of the Knicks last year both of which were totally meaningless games because the Knicks were very much out of the playoff picture by then so this was the most meaningful game that Jaron Grant has ever played in at the NBA level and it was certainly the best game he's ever played in in the NBA Then he started not getting as many of those minutes because Isaiah Cannon was playing well, so they started running out lineups with Cannon out there playing off the ball and then, you know, Wade or Jimmy bringing the ball up. But, yeah, I think what Grant showed last night is he can run the offense. He'll put in the effort on defense, uh, which is something that I think is definitely more consistent than anything we've seen out of uh, Rondo, and I would expect that to continue, at least on the from an effort standpoint. Now, as far as what it means for the future of Rondo, just, you know, politi- he's one of the three alphas, so politically, like, you can't, even if Grant is playing better, you just, you can't bench Rondo or cut his minutes. You just, I, I feel like if, if you do that, because right now, it's uh, everything is going so well from a chemistry standpoint, that, you know, from, from the sense of everybody's getting along, everybody's buying in, everybody's saying that, you know, everybody just needs to do what they need to do to win. 
for a guy like Rondo, if they were to start benching him or you know take you know take him out of the starting lineup or cut his minutes or stop having him play in crunch time, that's just not that might not go over well for a guy like Rondo with the career that he's had, the reputation that he has, uh, the pedigree sort of that he has, the respect that he commands around the locker room. That might not go well, and that might be part of what would derail this. But, you know, there is the reality that the offense has functioned better when Rondo is not out there. Yeah, certainly. And I think that is in part because Jimmy Butler has been playing so well with the ball in his hand. Jimmy's making so many good decisions. And I don't think that's always just reflected in assist numbers, for example, or how many shots or shooting percentage how efficient he is there, which it, it is, but ever being inside the full score, like, He's just making the right basketball play to lead to hockey assists, better positions for his other teammates. I mean, he's doing things where he's got several defenders, and maybe the shot that he shoots or the guy next to him that he dishes to shoot is missed, but because the defense is really out of position, the Bulls are doing a good job getting offensive rebounds, which they've been great at early in the season. And part of that is because Jimmy's just drawing attention and making good basketball plays. So when Rondo's out there, it, it seems like at times, I mean, the vision is, you know, Butler and D Wade cut for the hoop, creating lanes, flashing to the rim, getting fouled, which Jimmy's been doing a great job of. But Jimmy's been doing a great job of that with the ball in his hands a lot. So Rondo, you know, he can't shoot. And I mean, defenses are leaving him alone. I mean, they're ignoring him largely when he doesn't have the ball. I mean, they're stacking feet off of him when he does have the ball. And I mean, it's, it's a problem for the Bulls and that point they're here. And we, we talked about that, that they stopped when they signed him. In early July, we discussed that the Castillas uh, be such a stark difference here early in the season does create problems. As you said, I don't think you change anything up whatsoever at all if you're the Bulls here because you are playing well, and because last year was such a disaster in the locker room and the internal politics and everyone not getting along, you do not make a move early in the season that might create uh, any disarray in the locker room with anyone, anyone that carries a voice and is respected, and it should be noted that, like Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade have talked about how much Rondo has met early in the season, just bringing leadership and a toughness to the Bulls. You don't do anything to harm that vibe that you got going on, but this is kind of turning into what seems like Fred Hoiberg's toughest decision uh, here as the year early season moves along, and I'm I wouldn't be shocked if there's games where Rondo, when he comes back healthy, if he isn't playing well, that the Bulls do go with a different closing lineup and don't have him in it because it operates better with another shooter on the floor. I think that's perfectly acceptable and within the realm of possibility. But certainly he'll keep starting. He might not start Thursday when they play at the Jazz because he's still suffering uh, from that left ankle strain. Sounds like he's still day-to-day, if I'm correct, Sean. So the Bulls have game Thursday against the Jazz and then back-to-back games Saturday and Sunday in Los Angeles. His availability is kind of still up in the air. Yeah, it is. And let's say you're planning on going to one of those games. I know where you should try to get tickets. Where is that, Sean? You should go to SeatGeek. That is correct. SeatGeek, the best way to buy and sell tickets. The NBA season is back, and SeatGeek is the easiest, smartest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close in person all season long. There's nothing like being at the game. And the biggest part of the year, you know, SeatGeek has never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek is the best deal to have your ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, outside, pub seats, upper deck. I have SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and it's just a few taps. You can instantly find seats for 
game of the entire season. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. SeatGeek will tell you get the best, most benefit buck too. For every ticket, on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deal to fit your personal budget. But every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is 100% back by their guarantee. And best of all in all of this, listeners select on both to a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. What does it need to do? Go download the SeatGeek app to your phone. You're good at that. You want to do that. Go to the settings tab. Click add a promo code. Enter OOBOLD. It's all fun. OOBULLS. SeatGeek will send you a $20 rebate after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, download the SeatGeek app. Enter promo code OOBOLD today. SeatGeek. That's the way buying something. Sean, what else stood out to you? Well, so the so Doug is still not with the team. He's still back in Chicago getting treatment. And Fred said today at practice that he still is going to have to stay in Chicago to clear the protocol until he doesn't have any more symptoms, and then they can start thinking about whether he can fly out. So it's going to be pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty safe to assume he's not going to be playing. He definitely not tomorrow against Utah. Probably, if I had to guess, probably not uh, the two games this weekend in LA. But uh, beyond that, who knows? I would say it's pretty high likelihood that he won't play at all on this trip, especially if you consider this is his second concussion of the year. Because obviously he had the one that he suffered during the game against Brooklyn, and then he missed the game in Boston early on in the season, and then he, this, he took a pretty hard hit to the head this time, so uh, he might be out for a while. If you look at Al Horford in Boston, he has been out for a couple of weeks now with the concussion that he missed, uh, that he had right before the game against the Bulls in Boston, so, you know, guys can sit out for a while with these concussions. Yeah, sure. I mean, I want like two points on that. That, that fall was going to I mean, that was really, really nasty. And again, I know St. Marquis Morris of the Wizards when it happened there uh, last Saturday. Not any harm by way of that. It really wasn't a dirty play in the Bulls' mind, according to Patrick and a couple others. But it was still really nasty. And again, we don't ever claim to be doctors, but that second impact uh, syndrome kind of second impact hits of, of having a problem, having another one like. That builds up, that adds up, that's really scary. So like you said, I I mean, I would actually be more surprised if he did play on the road trip than if he didn't. I think at this point, it's kind of like let him get healthy for those uh, two weeks, get it out of the way, but the team's traveling and flying around every other day to places. So uh, certainly, uh, hope for the best for Doug, but at the same time, I would expect the Bulls to be cautious. With him, Michael Carter-Williams' recovery uh, going as planned, Yeah, well, I mean, this is something a lot of us have talked about out here on this road trip that, 
you know, it, there was a pretty good sense that Jimmy Butler, as great as he is, and I think he's a top 15, 20 player in the league, it was pretty safe to say that going in. He was probably as good as he was going to get. You know, he's 26, and then he, you know, he didn't come in with a ton of, you know, raw talent. He had, you know, he had to really work to get where he is. Uh, you know, it was kind of not a high draft pick, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, he has just jumped another level this year. He's playing the best basketball of his career. Uh, he is his defense is better than it was last year after the knee injury. Whether he can carry them every single night like he has been so far this season, I don't know if that's going to hold up because he's going to be playing pretty heavy minutes. His body might break down at some point, but he has. I mean, you can't really ask for anything more out of a franchise player than what Jimmy Butler has been giving the Bulls lately. I mean, he's averaging 24 and a half points this year on 49% shooting, which is, I mean, that's just spectacular for him. He's been so aggressive. And I think, like, we've, we've talked about this before. Jimmy, the one season back in the kids era, really improved his three point shooting. Uh, one season, he's improved his ball handling before he kind of added some stuff in the post game. Like, this year, it just feels like he understands the game more. Like, I'm not talking a specific skill, but. It does feel like he knows when to be aggressive. He knows how to use his body to create contact because he's so good at doing that. I mean, he's averaging 9.2 free throw attempts per game, and he's shooting at 90% clip, which is actually an uptick, too. So he gets better shooting free throws uh, percentage-wise as well. It's getting there all of the time to the line, but like, I think that's a maturation process, too. I think Dwayne Wade's been good for him. Dwayne Wade pointed out the other day uh, about Jimmy Butler after his big game against the Wizards, the, the Bulls were in the home, and Jimmy kind of carried him or sparked him on a night where they were lackadaisical for a little bit. But Jimmy knows picking D Wade's brain about how to use his body, how to get a shot off out of kind of a weird scenario or when he's kind of contorted in the lane, stuff like that, how to get a defender uh, to lean the other way and be off balance and then take advantage of it. And, you know, Jimmy, I think was looking to someone, I think he likes the aspect of having someone to turn to as a mentor and look at to get some of this information, someone who's done it, and who carries as much respect as Wayne White has, and Jimmy didn't have that so much last year, I mean, Derek Rose is kind of his age peer in a, in a way, because he's a year or two older, I think, than Jimmy, and Wayne White, I mean, has seven years, I think, on Jimmy Butler, so it's just a different level there in the mentorship, and Jimmy didn't have that before, and maybe he needed that from a player as much as he needed it from a coach, you know what I mean, uh, I think that might be revealing if the season goes along, too. Yeah, I think that there's definitely something to that, and it's probably to Dwayne Wade's credit that as soon as he came in over the summer, he said, you know, this is Jimmy Butler's team, I'm not coming here to be the guy and be the number one option, but then behind the scenes... You have to respect Dwayne Wade and do what he kind of suggests you to do because he's Dwayne Wade. You know, he's a future Hall of Famer, a three-time champion, Finals MVP, all this other stuff. Uh, and I think Jimmy has really taken to heart that look, this is an all-time great player, and he wants to help me get better. So I'm going to listen to what he says and try to learn from him. And you know, I don't want to give Dwayne Wade all the credit for you know the way that Jimmy Butler has been this year, but you know, it's certainly part of it. I did want to get to a couple of questions from our terrific listeners, and you can always uh, hit us up with questions at Lockdown Bulls on Twitter or at LockdownBulls at gmail.com if you have a question that needs more than 140 characters. Uh, but I'll have via Twitter at Fred Holmberg step in and get live on Rondo's scale 
all dominant offensively. At whatever point, Rondo comes back healthy here in the next few days or week or whatever. Uh, let's say you, Sean, should Rajon Rondo scale back his ball dominance? Should he scale back his ball dominance? Probably. Is Fred yeah. Hoiberg going to step in and get him to do that? I don't. Just knowing Fred and knowing his personality, I don't really see him having much. Uh, you know, there, I don't know. If there's much he's going to be able to do to tell Rondo because the whole reason that this has seemed like such a good match, Rondo and Hoiberg, from a personality standpoint, is because Rondo is not a guy that likes to be micromanaged, and Fred isn't really a micromanaging type of coach. So, I don't know. I have a hard time seeing that conversation taking place. Yeah, I, I would think that there will be a natural progression if what we see continues, and by that I mean the Bulls being more efficient when the ball is in other people's hands, uh, when the Bulls are more efficient for a longer stretch uh, without one down the floor. I know what games is a good start for the Bulls to pick out a few trends. I do think there are some trends that will stick, like the Bulls, I believe, are going to continue to be a good rebounding team. I think they're going to continue getting the free throw line out. I wouldn't completely throw on the tag yet regarding offense uh, for the Bulls and how they approach it with the ball in other hands. So the problem is, if you don't give him the ball on offense, he's not doing anything without it to help you. You know what I mean? He can't stand in the corner and stretch a defense. He's really not that great at finishing for the rim or cutting for the hoop and stuff. But when he does that, he's set others up on a draw defenders and then find the, uh, the passing lanes are kind of close to the defense, but it layups there. So, if we do take the ball out of his hands, we basically might as well just relegate him to more of a bench role, which brings up the uh, political problems that we've touched on here a little bit. So, should they? Yeah, a little bit. I would be careful of how much to do that. I think some of that will be revealed too uh, when he comes back, plays a few more games, seeing what they continue to do that to Jaron Grant as well. Uh, Sean, via Twitter, asked, are the Bulls, is the Bulls trend of not giving up free throws defensively sustainable? Is that a skill? It sure seems like that's what they do best. A little background for everyone. The Bulls are allowing 17.1 free throw attempts per game, which is the fewest of the 30 teams in the NBA. And it's the fewest by a large margin, 1.3. And there are a lot of teams that are getting, getting up closer to 26 30 per game. So uh, the Bulls are dominating teams in the sense of getting to the free throw line themselves and then not allowing the other team to get there, which I think reflects upon a smart defense uh, in the sense of not fouling guys a lot, staying in front of your guys. And sometimes it can be reflected in the lack of effort and just letting people have lanes. But for the most part, I think in this early start, it's been good defense for Sean. Do you think that's sustainable? I mean, I'm not sure if they're going to be the least, you know, give up the fewest free throws. Uh, to opponents throughout the whole season, but that is definitely something that's impressed about them so far. And I think part of that is Jimmy Butler is such a smart defender, and you know, guys, you know, a guy like Isaiah Cannon, who again is not a great defender, but he knows kind of when to go for steals and when to just stay in front of guys, and he's not going to foul guys a lot, and he's been playing a lot of uh, minutes at those that, uh, guard positions, so. You know, their, their pieces are there. And, you know, Robin Lopez is also a really smart defender and a good rim protector. So it's, you know, it's, it's, that's certainly it's something they can use to their advantage. But, you know, between that and the offensive rebounding, which is still very high uh, among the league, and, you know, they've 
they're they're kind of doing these little things that aren't really you know things that people talk about a lot, but that are just really helping them win right now, which you know you're seeing in their record, another seven and four. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, TuneIn, Google Play, anywhere you can find podcasts. Make sure you leave us a five-star review. Thanks again to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode. Make sure you download the free SeatGeek app on your phone. Enter the promo code uh, LOBULLS in the settings tab, and you'll get $20 back on your first purchase. Uh, you can check out The Athletic to read my work covering the Bulls. Check out 670thescore.com to read Cody's work, and we will be back with you soon. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said. Done.